Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gospel Forum Podcast. My name is Dan Sardinas, and it's been a little while since you've heard our voices, and we apologize for that. We've been a little bit busy here, and uh, but we're starting to regroup and per- starting to provide some more content. We got some articles that are in the hopper ready to be released and working on some episode content. So bear with us and we'll get back into the swing of things here very shortly. Uh, but I'm also joined again by my friend Nick Potts, who's here. Hey, Nick, how, how are you, bud? I'm doing well. How are you, Dan? I'm all right. I'm all right. And today you have probably read some of his articles already on the Gospel Forum on Worldview. We have our newest member of the Gospel Forum. His name is Josh Sherrill, and he joins us today and will be joining us also in future episodes. How are you doing, Josh? Doing well, doing well. That's great, brother. Great to have you here. Hey, Josh, uh, many of our listeners may not uh, know much about you, so just give us a a brief introduction to who you are, where where you live, what do you do? Sure. Uh, So... Uh, Josh Sherrill. I am an associate pastor at Providence Church in Lehigh Acres. Um, the church was planted out of Grace Baptist in Cape Coral and um, married happily with three kids. And um, my wife's name is Carolina. We've been married for almost 11 years now. Uh, we have three kids. Emma is nine. She'll be 10 in November. Connor just turned eight in July and Ellie was uh, it turned five in February. So, um, yeah, I've been in ministry for about 10 years now and um, currently attending seminary through Southern Baptist Theological Seminary Mm -hmm. for a master's in biblical and theological studies. Awesome. That's great, brother. Well, it's great to have you here. Great to have you here. Hey, before we we continue, uh, I I think we should probably do another beard poll. (laughs) Josh might win. (laughs) I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Shane's beard is on point. <laughs> he does have a beautiful beard. He did win the last time. Yeah, so. yeah. I would vote for Shane personally. Yeah. <laughs> so. Pilgrim, Pilgrim got so mad that for me or not, but. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Pilgrim got so mad that he lost that poll that he wound up shaving his beard and regrowing it. I heard about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, this is about as best as it gets for me. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, well, great. Yes, Josh does have an amazing, amazing beard, and that's great. <laughs> All right, guys, well, let's go to our main topic of the day, and today we want to talk about something very serious that, um, that, that we probably have all encountered at some point, um, and something that many Christians do encounter on a daily basis, and it's this matter of de- discouragement or depression. Uh, no matter how you want to term that, one seems more clinical than the other. Um, but there is so much to this, and it's such a part of our daily lives, things that we encounter because of our sinful nature. Um, and probably, I don't have a stat or, or any data to back this up, but the last five months when people have been kind of locked down and quarantined and um, probably has escalated a lot of discouragement uh, and depression financial issues, uh, isolation from uh, not being with people. And so this is something that's, I think, really relevant um, that we need to address today. And so let's just talk about that, um, about spiritual spiritual depression, d- discouragement uh, overall. Um, first of all, I mean, th- it almost seems like uh, an oxymoron. Can a Christian get depressed? I mean, let's, let's, let's hash that out. Josh, why don't you take it away? <laughs> well, I mean, it, if we read our Bibles, we'll find that the people of God have, have um, definitely experienced what we might call depression. And then if we read history of the church, we'll find that many of the greatest um, examples of, of faithfulness uh, to the Lord have been also people who have endured great suffering, um, internal suffering. Uh, so... Yes, to, to, to shorten the answer. Yeah, yeah. So, so discouragement, yeah. depression is not foreign to the believer. Very, very true. Nick? And, and, and if, I can, if I can add on to that, uh, not, only, um, not only do we see it throughout the annals of Christian history, uh, we actually see it like in the text of Scripture itself. Uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 8, 
It says, uh, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Mm. Uh, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That is just an amazing statement. It's an amazing, candid, and raw statement that the apostle gives us that they were so afflicted that they despaired of life itself. Now, if you don't really quite understand what Paul's trying to get at, he's saying it, it's very possible that they had suicidal thoughts. Not, not in the sense of, you know, oh, this life's so bad, I just want to get away with it, but probably more in the sense of, you know, um, that they just wanted to be with Jesus. Uh, they yeah. just wanted to escape it all. And I, I find that to be a lot more the case with a lot of believers as well. But yeah, it, it's it can be not only just mere uh, depression or sad feelings, but I mean, deep despair. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, Probably the reason why this sounds so, this may sound so foreign to some people is because people have a, a faulty understanding of what living a godly life, living a real genuine life uh, as a Christian looks like. And I think part of this is uh, some doctrinal issues that people might have. We have movements like the Word of Faith Movement, Prosperity Gospel, that just want to preach happy-go-lucky, everything's good for you, you know, uh, you're a champion, you should be the happiest person in the world, your best life now. And so when these moments come into a person's life, they almost might even question their salvation. Like, what, what's wrong with me? Uh, what, what, why do I feel like this? I, I must, you know, you know, God must be angry at me, or I must, must not be doing something right. And a lot of this yeah. becomes from a really faulty doctrinal foundation. Yeah. And, and you'll hear, you know, phrases such as like in a lot of those groups that you mentioned, uh, don't speak that over your life. Don't don't accept that. Don't receive that. Not today, uh, Satan. Not today, Satan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, you know, but what that essentially does is it prolongs the person from the counseling that they need. Yes. Uh, it steers them away from counseling, whereas scripture calls us to seek godly counsel, to uh, bear the burdens with one another. Well, how can you bear the burden with one another if you deny that you have burdens to begin with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And so it's almost kind of like an escape um, <clears throat> from reality, an escape from maybe a gift that God has given me to experience the sorrow in my life for whatever reason to make me godly or to grow more Christ-like, maybe to remove whatever idol that's in my, in my life, whatever sin that's keeping me from doing. And so all of a sudden, instead of looking as sorrow or discouragement or whatever obstacles in our way as a tool that God is using to sanctify us, all of a sudden it's, well, we need to run away from it. We need to, yeah. we need to, it's not, it's not legitimate. It's not real. And so therefore, you know, I mean, it's, it's discredited from, from the get-go. And I think that is so hurtful. I think it's mm -hmm. so problematic for the Christian life that Christians do not know how to handle this. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, um, so let's just talk, what are some, what are some genuine reasons that people might experience discouragement today? Why, 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 why is this an issue in life? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, uh, I don't know where the right starting point is necessarily for this idea, but a couple of things come to mind. And one of those is, is expectation. Oh, we, yeah. have, we have expectations um, of what our lives should look like, of what others' relationships, what our relationships with others should look like, what we should be getting out of that. Um, there's all kinds of expectations that we set up for ourselves. And um, uh, many times they're unrealistic. They're more shaped by, um, by something we might read in books or see in movies. And, um, and so we don't know how to deal with unhappy endings. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to deal with, um, with difficult things mm -hmm. because we, we, uh, we're constantly being told that um, you just need to be happy. And, and, 
um, you know, all the things you just mentioned about you, des- don't you deserve it. You deserve right. to be happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And something that uh, Nick mentioned a few moments ago that, that it made me think of is when we're saying, you know, when people are saying, don't speak that over your life, uh, let the devil know not today. That's a, a line in a song, right? Um, when you, when you hear those things and you think those things, you, you're really like, uh, decentralizing your sin and suffering and saying that it's all coming from the outside and that, mm-hmm. that our souls don't have any involvement in that, 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 that suffering is foreign to us. Yeah. Um, and, and it's all, it's all kind of mingled in there, but those statements create expectations as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, uh, just to, um, add on to that, I think one of those expectations that, um, that we often feel are cultural norms um, and mores that uh, that we say, well, the culture says this is bad, or the culture says this is good, or my family says this is good and this is bad, rather than looking to God's law as saying what is good and what is bad. I mean, that this brings us all the way back to the garden itself, where Adam and Eve were told, you will be like God, knowing, which is more like an establishing of what is good and evil, according to your mm. perspective. Mm. Yeah, very good. Um, so we have situations that happen, that can happen in life. We could have betrayal or soured relationships uh, bereavement, of course, the death of a loved one, uh, loss of job or poverty, um, disappointment, as Josh just laid out, uh, expectations not fulfilled. And so a lot of times, I mean, some of those things, especially the expectations, you know, being not fulfilled, perhaps we need to evaluate what the, some of those expectations were to begin with yeah. and see if, you know, if if that's even what God wants for my life. Uh, but then there's also this issue of sin, Right. I mean, what is the the place of sin and depression and discouragement? Uh, how 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 can sin really affect us in that way? Josh, you want to hit that? <laughs> Nick's quick to point to me. All right, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, unrepentant sin disrupts fellowship with God. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a uh, one easy way of, of looking at that. I think one simple way of looking at it. When we are when we are in sin, we are not um, walking with the Lord. That doesn't mean that unrepentant sin somehow cancels our our salvation or cancels uh, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Cancels imputed righteousness, but it does block and and um, stymie our our walk with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord, and our fellowship with others as well. Yeah, our so, joy. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. so sin is a joy killer. It really is, especially sin that c- continues to fester in our heart like that. Nick. Yeah. Amen. You know, and looking at it from the like symptoms aspect, you know, a lot, a lot of the symptoms of uh, depression can either be, you know, like there's some physical uh, symptoms and then some spiritual symptoms. Uh, You know, some of the, you know, I I think one of the things that we need to first do is kind of distinguish between, you know, the various forms and causes. So like, you know, physical, you know, like insomnia or, you know, massive fatigue, you know, stuff like that, where, you know, you're just having, you know, loss of energy and so on and so forth. But then, you know, we're, you know, a little bit focusing more on the spiritual side, you know, you have shame, you have guilt, you have fear, thanklessness, unforgiveness, uh, hopelessness, unbelief, anger, like, I mean, like all of these emotions, you know, are caused uh, by, you know, a, a form of depression. And so, so looking at, you know, a lot of them, you know, um, really do kind of, and that's one of the reasons why I brought up the law of God, because, uh, so why do you have these feelings of guilt? Well, are you guilty? I I think that's the first question that we should ask. And we live in such a time that, whoa, no, 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 you know, like you, you can't, you can't attack the victim. You know, you can't blame the victim as, as the, you know, cultural meme is, you know, um, but 
why like why can't we ask that well are you guilty like why do you feel shame maybe it's because you did something shameful um you know, so so these are these are a couple of things that I, I think we have to dig down to the root of it in dealing. You know, are we guilty? Did we do something shameful? Did we do something that we should be afraid? Um, uh, and I, I think those are some of the starting points for sure. Yeah, I think we could see the way David dealt with his repentance in Psalm fifty-one to hmm. see the anguish that he was in and what sin caused to him. You know, did to his soul. Uh, Psalm 51, 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide mm -hmm. your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And he keeps on and on. That that whole idea of his, that he felt like he felt like his bones were broken. You know, you know he's just so crushed underneath the the weight of this conviction that he has over his sin, but now he's wanting to get it right. Evidently tore David up. And we know, of course, from the account in first Samuel when, or second Samuel, when that happened, that David uh, was indeed very discouraged in the press of course, his child winds up dying and he mourns and he weeps and all this stuff. And it all goes back to the repentance of sin uh, from yeah. sin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know, such as, you know, like thanklessness. I mean, like we see that directly in Romans chapter one, they did not give thanks to God, nor did they fear him. Um, why, why do we have an unforgiving spirit? It could be because we recognize that we are unforgiven or, mm -hmm. you know, but then like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to constantly say, well, if you feel guilt, it's because you are guilty because it could be the opposite. Like you could have actually been forgiven, but yet you still feel guilty. And I think this is where, you know, a good solid understanding of the doctrine of justification by faith alone actually would really help. No, you were guilty. Yes, that's true. But all of your guilt has been placed on Christ. He bore the totality of the curse. You don't, you no longer need to pay any penance toward God. The account has been paid. So I, I think that would be, you know, the opposite side of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very good. And like you said, Nick, not all depression is sin related. There's a lot of physical oh. aspects to it, uh, whether you have some kind of uh, illness or whether fatigue uh, from a lack of sleep, or it could just be uh, diet related. A lot, you know, sometimes Diet plays a huge part of it and where simple exercise and eating right and sleeping well can cure a lot of, a lot, a lot of that, uh, uh, you know, feelings that you have inside of you. But of course it even can go beyond that. You know what I mean? There, you know, we are broken people. You know what I mean? We have a, we have a broken body. We have an imperfect body. We, you know, we have all these things happening inside of us. And so, but you cannot separate the spiritual from, from the physical. Um, Amen. Yeah. Mark, Martin Lloyd-Jones actually says this in his book, Spiritual Depression. He says, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are great illustrations of this in the scriptures. And so let's piggyback on Lloyd-Jones there. What illustrations do we have in the scriptures of people being depressed? You mentioned the Apostle Paul already, but what about the Psalms? Is there, is there any Psalms to talk about depression, guys? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of examples, uh, several examples in the Psalms of lament, and some of which comes from a, a what we might call depression, um, in a sense. And a, Psalm 88 is one of those. Um, in Psalm 88, a couple of things that are that are that are made clear. One, there's there's a, a feeling of a feeling of helplessness and even of even of death. I mean, if we look at Psalm 88 and just read the first few verses. He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul 
is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. I mean, you're not going to find that on a Hallmark card. That's, no. that's, that's no. dark stuff. That, that is dark stuff. And he Forget goes the Hallmark on. card. You won't find that in a Christian bookstore either. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, but, but the one thing that, that I find the, um, that we need, that the one insight that I see into this is what is he doing with his depression? Well, first he's mm-hmm. going to the Lord. That's the first yeah. thing he's doing. The very first thing he does is cry out to the Lord. And that's the one thing that comes up um, throughout. That's the only bright part of the psalm. It's the mm-hmm. only psalm that doesn't resolve on a, on a high note. It, it's, it resolves in, in a, in a, on, with a minor chord. The, the last words are in darkness. Mm-hmm. But, but throughout, he recognizes that God is sovereign over his suffering. Mm-hmm. He says in there in verse 6, You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. And yet so many people are afraid of the psalm, I think, and others like it. Because like you said, Josh, we do not know what it is to lament. You know, I mean, even many of our worship services are filled with happy uh, celebration type songs, which there's nothing wrong with that. But boy, do we need ever a teaching and an understanding in the Christian church of proper lament. The Psalms are the greatest examples of those. And for some people, they might look at Psalm 88 and see that the psalmist, or Psalm 42, which is another great example, that the psalmist had a great lack of faith. You know what I mean? He's complaining to God and he's doubting God. But really through this lament, he's in in a way, I believe, praising the Lord. He's letting his soul worship God because he's utterly desperate and knows that his only hope. And obviously that doesn't resolve itself in 88, but like in Psalm 42, he does do that. Um, In Psalm 42, you know, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me, um, all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs and praise. Again, he uses this lament to fuel his praise of God. And so he, he does this three different times in 42 and 43, but his lament, it starts there and then he winds up praising God. Christians just don't know how to do that because they're like, well, I can't say that to God. I can't tell God how I'm really feeling. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, um, and the, of course, the strange thing is God already does know how we're feeling. God already knows what is true. We can't hide anything from him. You know, we could put on a facade for other people, but not to him. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think you, you nailed it, Dan, there, uh, you know, saying that, um, uh, it, it it almost is like uh, when people look at these psalms, they see a lack of faith. But for me, I actually see more faith because the psalmist here is trusting the Lord with his heart and his emotions um, so much more than somebody who hasn't uh, felt those uh, deep sorrows and darkness uh, that he is that he's actually crying out to the Lord rather than saying, "You know what, God, forget you." Mm. Uh, no running to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, uh, Psalm 13 is another one is saying, how long, Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How yeah. long must I counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How shall my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, my goodness, like he is just, just pouring it all out. And, you know, somebody who would look at this and say, you know, oh, well, he, he lacks faith here. But then, you know, again, the very point of come, he's coming to the Lord. So he's not lacking in faith here. But then you look, you know, how this Psalm does have a resolution, you know, and five, it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice he doesn't say, um, um, I trust in you, therefore I have joy all the time. 
or uh, my heart will rejoice um, with, uh, you know, upbeat tempo songs all the time. You know, I, I will sing to the Lord, you know, um, and because he has dealt bountifully with me, like he's still saying that he is worshiping the Lord. He is still saying that he is trusting the Lord and that he is rejoicing uh, because of the Lord's works. Um, but he is doing that through suffering, not despite it. Right. And don't forget that this is inspired scripture. You yeah, know, absolutely. Inspired scripture. A Amen. Amen. So let me ask you this question. So what have you done to overcome bouts of discouragement, depression in your life? Uh, what have you counseled other people to do? Um, what are some what are some trouble signs you may have seen in your own life that mark that? I'll, I'll just start here. Um, first of all, I, I have I have noticed in my life that the periods where it seems like there's some drought happening, where I just feel, ugh, you know, I just don't. This is crazy. I'm tired of this. What's going on? I can't shake this. Almost every single time are periods where I have not been in God's word as I should have been. Every single time. Every single time where I've been distracted or worried or busy with stuff. And, you know, I'm fretting. And then I realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, how am I just pausing and being still and realizing that he is God? Wow. How, how often am I meditating and chewing on these scriptures? Because uh, this is where our joy is going to come from. This is where our, our comfort, our promise, our um, consolation is going to be. Uh, for me, it's been that. It's been like, you know, one, one of the things that has helped me is, okay, Dan, this thing may not go away. This thing may not resolve itself, but regardless of whatever happens, whether you get the outcome you desire or not, no matter what, at the end of the day, you have to realize that God is enough, that God is, uh, is sovereign and he's working out his will for your life. And uh, at the end of the day, you're being sanctified and you're going to be glorified, but that God is my treasure and that God is enough. And so in spite of that trial, I need to understand that I still need to be in this word. Because uh, if not, I will starve and my depression will get, will get even worse. And I've had to learn that the hard way many times throughout the course of my life, unfortunately. Um, and, I, and I think in, in helping other people uh, through this, as a pastor, I've had to realize there's not a one size fits all. You know what I mean? There's not a one size fits all. Like, you know, just do these three steps and you're good. You know what I mean? You're going to feel like, you know, it's just like the doctors take two aspirin, call me in the morning. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, what I mean? yeah. even for the psalmist in Psalm 42, his big complaint is that he couldn't go worship God in the temple. And it was probably written during the uh, Babylonian exile. And he's probably there in Babylon, away from the temple, couldn't worship God. That didn't resolve itself for 70 years. You know what I mean? But still, he said, what? I will hope in God. You know what I mean? I will hope in God. Uh, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God, for I will again praise him. And so he put his expectation in the God now and not what he can't have necessarily, leading the throngs in procession to the temple of God. So I think figuring who you are is very important in this process. Um, you're not, you know, I'm not Nick. I'm not Josh. Uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all uh, but the one thing that will help for certainly is getting into God's word and um, looking deep into my heart, seeing where there's sin, seeing where there's faulty expectations, seeing where I'm not been trusting God and reevaluating all that. I mean, for me, that's been, that's been a great help for me. How about you guys? Yeah. I mean, uh, so for me, um, uh, quick background for some of the listeners. So, uh, I didn't grow up, uh, in a Christian home, um, and, you know, had, you know, some abuse that occurred, uh, growing up both, uh, physically and mentally. 
a lot of that mental uh, abuse was more um, directed in, in a way that, you know, you're not good enough. Uh, you will never achieve this. You will never achieve that. Uh, so on and so forth. Um, and we live in such a day that we'll look at something like that and they'll try to answer it uh, by saying, no, you are good enough. You can achieve it. And then, and then you know, I, I get all, you know, dopamine high and say, yeah, I can and go out and say, I am good enough. I can achieve it. And then I go try something and I fail. And then I'm like, wait a second. I, I thought I was good enough. I thought I could achieve it. See, the answer to my particular form of depression is not um, not saying the uh, you aren't good enough is a lie. Rather, it's saying, you're right. I am not good enough, but Christ is. Mm. And he achieved it for me. Amen. So in, in a almost direct way, the gospel is my balm for depression. Um, you know, we, uh, we look at uh, Colossians 2, you know, really talks about the exaltation of Christ uh, over against the Gnostic uh, forms of uh, extra special knowledge. Um, you know, that, you know, they, they said, oh, well, you know, you, you need Christianity, but you need this more. Uh, the Judaizers did the same thing. You need Christianity, but you need to be circumcised. However, Paul answers all of those objections um, by saying, um, and you who are dead in trespasses of sin in your flesh, God made alive uh, together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the cancellation uh, of uh, the record of debt uh, that stood against us with legal demands and the forgiveness of all trespasses has already occurred. It's not a future reality, some sort of uh, ethereal or mystical reconciliation that we need to seek for the future. Rather, it's a reconciliation to God that we already now have. Um, in, a, in a sense, it's almost an underrealized eschatology uh, that, that this is something you already now have. Um, so how does that help me with my depression? Well, when I have those feelings that, you know, oh, well, yeah, I know Jesus says he loves me and Jesus did die for me, but I need to do this, whatever it is. I need to you know, do more scripture reading. Is it a good idea to do more scripture reading? Yeah, of course it is. Is it good to do more prayer? Yes, of course it is. it is. Is it good to fellowship with more believers? Yes, these are all good things. But when you take you know, what is good and you make it ultimate, you've essentially yeah. created an idol about, of good things. Um, and you've you've taken the law, which is good, and you made the law your savior rather than Christ through the gospel as your savior. So I don't need to do these things uh, to achieve goodness or greatness or achieve a feeling of satisfaction. Yeah. But I need to recognize that I am already now justified before God. I am not good enough, and, and that's okay. So you can't do yourself out of depression. No. Now, let let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that uh, you know if you are isolating yourself away from the church, not reading your scripture, that I'm not saying you know oh well I don't need to do any of that. Uh, you know I just need to believe in the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you believe in the gospel so that you can uh, obey the law for your sanctification. You don't obey the law so that you may feel satisfaction before God. Correct. Yeah. Well, it's the whole faith and works argument that James makes. You know what I mean? It really always, always comes down to that paradigm. Right. Exactly. 
Uh, yeah, one of the things you mentioned there, uh, Lloyd-Jones mentions in his book as well, and it's what the psalmist does in Psalm 42, is that uh, he talks to himself. You know, <laughs> why are that. you cast down, oh my soul? Now, talking to oneself is seen as a form of lunacy in our, in our society, but it's so good, right? Um, and so, yeah, Lloyd-Jones says, I'm going to paraphrase it here. He says, you need to talk to yourself instead of letting yourself talk to you, which is, which is, a, which, which is a clever way. To, because we, you need to be more Yeah, we need to be more proactive. And like you said, reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding ourselves of our justification, reminding ourselves of our satisfaction in Christ and not whatever yeah. we are discouraged about, uh, first and foremost. And so, but yeah, so, you know, and I think, uh, Matt Chandler's also said, you know, no one talks to you more than you. No one lies to you more than you do. No one, you know, and so we are our own our own worst enemy so, in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if I could boil it down to like a pithy statement is, um, you know, for you, it, is, it was, you know, a drought in the word of God. For me, like I can read the word of God, but it's a matter of believing the word of God. Right. believing the promises of God. So I, I can read it all day long. Yeah. And, and, and I wouldn't say that that was necessarily uh, the cure. Sure. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it was a symptom. It was a symptom of my depression that I, that I discovered, you know, I, yeah. obviously we could read the Bible all day long, but not believe it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But what I, what I notice is that for me, a symptom of that, uh, of when I'm just down in the dumps, I tend to not run to the scriptures first, which is to my which is to my shame. And I have to realize, wait a minute, what am I doing here? What 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 are what what are the psalmists doing all throughout these psalms? I mean, they they run and cry to God first and foremost. So anyway, Josh, a- anything to add to that? Yeah, that was, that was actually a perfect segue because I was going to say run and cry to God. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all throughout the scriptures, calling upon the name of the Lord. But it's more than just praying. I mean, I think calling upon the name of the Lord, uh, a specific part of that is the name of the Lord, right? The Lord, the Lord, steadfast, kind, right. you know, uh, whose love endures for generations. So I think that that's a big part of it. As, as we're all talking, I also want to kind of think about um, you know, Dan, you and I both have a, we're both in ministry in a way that, that we're prone to that, what you mentioned. <laughs> we are prone to that. I, I think many who are in ministry are prone to that. And if I yeah. want to think about, about others outside of, of that context, what, what, might be, what might they be prone to in, in those, those depressions? Um, so briefly, I'll just say in my own case, yes, I absolutely resonate with what you said, Dan. I've been there. Um, for sure. Um, Nick, I, I can also say I've, I've experienced what, what you speak of. Um, yeah, when, when I'm, when I'm in a, a difficult spot and, and feeling um, a particular darkness in, in, in my life or, or fog, um, I, I think the, the only thing, I, if, I'm, if I'm counseling someone who's in that same situation, I would say cry to the Lord. Mm. I mean, we don't, you can read the word and, and we need to be a people who are based on the word, um, who are living in the word, like Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Um, we need to be that people. Um, but there's also kind of other things that can cause us to come to be depressed as well. And, and as you mentioned at the beginning earlier, it can be health. It can be lack of sleep. It can be other circumstances for some um, it's not the shame of their own sin necessarily, but it can be the shame of something that's been done to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got some, some terrible things um, that people have endured, whether it be um, a, a spouse who's, who's committed adultery, whether it be um, um, statistically speaking, from what I understand, there's a, a large percentage of women, uh, even in our churches, that have been raped at one point in their life. And the conversation just got real when you say something like that, right? But it, yeah. it's serious. And, and something like that can haunt someone for the rest of their life. And um, so there's some shame that comes with things like that. That's not a result necessarily of your own sin. Right. Um, it's not a result of your lack of being in the word or your lack of believing 
the word, right. you know, it, it can just be this dirty feeling. You, you could uh, be doing everything. Yeah, you could be doing everything right, to, you know, so to say, and still, still feel these uh, feelings. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, and there's when you look through the first several Psalms, again, we go back to the Psalms because the Psalms are a model for us about mm-hmm. how to approach God in, in light with every part of our life. Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of every part of the soul. Where it, where it examines the, 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 the different aspects of who we are and how we approach God. Mm. And uh, if you look at the first several Psalms, that line, um, we know Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I, I was surprised to find that says in his heart is, is reiterated several times leading up to Psalm 14. Mm. And it's the wicked says this in his heart. It, it's the, 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 the helpless say this in their hearts. And uh, it is a talking to ourselves. That's exactly what that is. It's a talking to ourselves. What are we saying to ourselves? Where, where are our thoughts leading? Mm. And so when we're in a particular moment of darkness, it could be without realizing it, we're leading ourselves down that path by our own thinking. Um, in Psalm 14, it says, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It was the fool's own thinking that, that led him to what comes after that. Mm. They've become corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Because in his heart, he rejects the ways of God. He rejects God's, um, God's way for the world and chooses to see the world through his own eyes and internalizing it all. And um, so one thing we can take from that is how to become a fool is to, to guide your own thinking by your own thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> and to not let God's word be the guide of your thinking. Amen. To not see the world through God's eyes. That's how to become a fool. It's less yeah. to do with, um, intellect, intellect or, or common sense. And it's more to do with who runs your life, who runs your thinking. Is, is your thinking guided by God's word or is it guided by something else or someone else? Yeah. Second uh, Corinthians 10, you know, everyone always cites verse four, but then verse five is actually kind of the key point. He says, for the weapons of our warfare, are not flesh and blood, uh, flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then people stop there. But then he continues. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And so pausing right there real quick. Again, those people that do kind of emphasize, you know, verse five here, really kind of the underlying tone is we destroy everyone else's arguments. We destroy everyone else's lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. But then it's a comma there and it says, and take every thought captive. So it's, while it is true to destroy others' arguments and every lofty opinion raised against God, it's to do it to ourselves as well. So that whole speaking to yourself, you know, it's not, you know, like, not today, devil, I'm not going to let you do this to me. I am, I am victorious. I am mighty. No, it's not that. It's, you know, no that is uh that is a satanic thought that is not of the lord that is not a thought that is submitted to christ and i will reject that mm. Amen. that is true spiritual warfare not yeah. you know not broadsword fighting demons with shields and you know you know chest plates no 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 like this is what real spiritual warfare is and if you've done any sort of counseling at all you know it's spiritual warfare. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think what we're all saying, again, because we all keep going back to, I think, to the same thing, um, is that one of the uh, the remedies or one of the, the bombs, I guess, if, we, if you want to call it that, is this is really knowing God. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're going to know ourselves and know how we tick and how we function in this world, we can't know ourselves without knowing God. Calvin deals with that in the very first chapter of the Institutes. Yeah. Yeah. And Pack J.I. Packer in Knowing God, that's the premise of his whole book. We can't know ourselves without knowing God. And so I think the more that we know God, we know his attributes, we know his character, we know his nature. You know, those are the things that we need to remember in the, in the, in the midst of that great discouragement. And uh, because we will also know ourselves more and we also know what we need 
more. And what we always need more is more God. <laughs> you know, we need to, we need more truth about the Lord and soaking up those attributes are so fundamental and, and, you know, for the Christian life. You know, um, that that's actually a good idea for like a series of videos, just like do like an attribute. Cause I know we did one on impassibility uh, or no immutability. Immutability on the attributes of God. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because good. I mean, I'm thinking here, like the simplicity of God, that God is not uh, different than his actions. So mm -hmm. if he says he is loving, he, he loves. Yeah. Uh, if he says he fulfills his promise, he fulfills his promises. Like there is no distinction between them. Right. Yeah, because what people wind up doing is they wind up blaming God for whatever X, Y, and Z, you know, the, he's the a cause of whatever is, is bad in their life. But if you don't have a proper understanding of who God is, then, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you're not going to go where to go. Well, guys, any good uh, resources that you could think of that we could guide people's attentions to? I've already mentioned one, uh, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, if you're not a reader, you could, if you go to your app store, or Google play, I think, I know it's on the Apple app store, uh, go to MLJ sermons. It's an app that has many Martin Lloyd Jones sermons and books. Um, well, many of his books are just transcribed sermons. Um, but spiritual depression, you can actually hear the sermons that he preached Now the audio quality is not very good. Um, but you could still hear it. Uh, nonetheless, or you could read the book Spiritual Depression. Another book that I have uh, that I just recently read is this book called uh, Spurgeon's Sorrows by Zach, S uh, Zach Eswine, uh, which is really good, just a brief book. Um, and it's a uh, Scotty Ward Smith says it's an incredibly practical guide, realistic hope for those who suffer from depression. Highly recommend it. He talks about Spurgeon's depression. Of course, Spurgeon had gout. Uh, physical ailments. And then he, of course, had that tragedy in his church where uh, a hoax uh, was uh, that killed many people in his church because somebody yelled fire and there was a stampede and all that happened there. So, um, but anyway, those are two resources I could think of off the top of my head. Anything else that you guys could think of on this, on the subject? Yeah. Um, not necessarily like specific books, uh, but Jay Adams, um, did basically started like the modern, like biblical counseling movement. Um, one book that I actually just had sitting here on my desk is, uh, called wrinkled, but not ruined. Um, uh, and it's counsel specifically geared toward elderly, elderly people who often feel like I have no more purpose in this life. I can't physically do anything anymore. Mm. Um, another one is, um, this is actually just a prayer book, so it's not even like directly dealing with depression, but it's actually uh, the Valley of Vision. And there's a lot of guided prayers uh, in that from like old Puritan prayers. And there's some that have like really, like really helped me a lot through that. Um, and then finally, uh, my wife actually read a book last year and then I, I caught probably about two thirds of it. So like for the most part, I can recommend it. Uh, I can two thirds recommend it. <laughs> uh, is I, I can't pronounce his last name though. Uh, it's Mark Rogop, I think is how you say it. Uh, it's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And okay. it really like, it talks about lament as a grace. It, it, lament is almost a means of grace uh, that God um, uses lament to not only reveal himself to you, but to reveal himself to others through your lament. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, a couple a couple of thoughts, actually. One, I, I'll just mention the one most recent because I'm in the middle of reading it right now. And it's called Depression, Anxiety, and the Christian Life, Practical Wisdom from Richard Baxter. It mm. was put together by Michael S. Lundy and J.I. Packer. And so they give kind of some keys to understanding uh, some context framing in there. And then most of it is just a reproduction of, of Richard Baxter. I uh, mean, there, there's so much, so much gold already. I, I'm only in the, the second or third chapter right now. It's just so much gold. It, it really um, help, helps me, I think, to understand some things that I've not 
I've not, I've not sunk to the depths that some have. And um, his words are helpful at seeing, um, mm-hmm. seeing what that might be and seeing how to help someone in, in that place. Um, and um, uh, another one that I found helpful, just thinking from the outside again, uh, from someone who maybe you haven't suffered depression, but you, have some, you know someone who does, um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by yeah. Tim, Tim Keller. That's a great book. Um, if I was to give it a subtitle, it would be How to Not Be Job's Friend. <laughs> How to Not Be Job's Friends, yeah. right? So, um, um, yeah, that, that was a, a tremendous book, reading through that, thinking about how to, how to, how to be a, a help to those who are suffering. Um, very good stuff. And then, again, just kind of like on the broader idea, I mean, C.S. Lewis. Read some stuff from C.S. Lewis about, about the, the darkness that he went through and uh, mm-hmm. that'll definitely paint a picture for you if you've not been there. So yeah. there's some good ones, I think. Yeah. W- one, uh, John Piper actually draws a lot from C.S. Lewis, um, um, especially his, you know, a grief observed when he wrote his book, um, uh, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God uh, by John Piper. It really, really good um, in trying to help establish almost like a theology of suffering. Mm. Good stuff, guys. All right. Well, I think Josh has a gospel nugget for us, uh, which is a way to see the gospel or Jesus in the Old Testament. And so, Josh, what do you got? Sure. I'm, I'm going to go back to Psalm 14 here for a moment. All right. Let's do it. So, uh, it's You're not short... calling Jesus the fool, are you? What's that? You're not calling Jesus the fool, are you? No, we're the fools, brother. We're the fools. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I, I'll just, I'll say it to you this way. Um, uh, I, I believe that the main thrust of Psalm 14 is this, that in a world of fools, seek the Lord, who is a refuge for the righteous, and, law, and, and rejoice in his coming salvation. I mean, th- that's, the, that's the picture that's being painted. The fool is set up. You're called to consider the fool, his thoughts, his, his, um, his attitudes, his actions, and then you see the Lord's perspective as he looks down from heaven and what does the Lord find? And it is that none do good. None are righteous, not even one. We learn later in Romans three that that applies to all of us. So we are the fools. Psalm 14 is not primarily about the atheist, which is how it typically gets used. Psalm 14 is, is about um, those who reject God's way. Mm. And um, we're all those, we are all those people. We are all fools in that sense. However, those who, who seek the Lord, and turn to him for refuge, find refuge. They find uh, comfort in his presence, and they find his defense. Mm. Verse five, uh, verses four and five, the psalmist writes, Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for, the, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. So this is, uh, this is the hope of, of every Christian, that Christ, is, Christ has already accomplished that coming salvation, but it's not yet here in its, in its fullness. And so we long for that day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Good stuff, brother. Well, guys, thank you for another fruitful conversation. Uh, make sure you check out our website thegospelforum.com for other theological articles and if you haven't already please subscribe to our podcast and uh, like us on facebook and uh, leave us an honest five-star review we'd appreciate that on itunes or your favorite podcast catcher well this has been another episode of the gospel forum and until next time keep on reforming there we go it's been a while all right guys thanks